Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm very excited because I have Marianne Littlejohn on the phone with me. Hi, Marianne. How are you? Hi, Joss. I'm very well. How are you over there in Australia? I know. It's always funny, isn't it, when we're so far apart and yet we're so connected by this shared love of aware parenting. So I'm so grateful for you to make time to talk to everybody. And I'll just introduce you in case people aren't familiar with you. So Marianne is a a registered midwife. She's been a midwife for 40 years. She's been an aware parenting consultant for 30 years. She's a home birth midwife. She studied psychology and she's currently studying through the School of Infant Mental Health in London. She has three sons and a granddaughter and lives in the UK. So thanks so much for making time. I always start the podcast by asking my guests to tell a bit of their story with Aware Parenting because I think sharing stories is so so powerful and so beautiful for people. So how did you discover, how did this all start? Well, I wasn't aware of my own trauma. (laughs) But yet when I was pregnant and had my first child, I knew it wanted to do it differently. And I was very fortunate to attend a seminar on birth and bonding with uh, Klaus and Kennel, the pediatricians. And it was a slideshow in those days. We didn't have internet. And the slides were showing how they discovered that babies were capable, they had thoughts, they experienced pain, they were conscious, and the light just switched on for me. And then I knew that I was a shaken baby, I was very traumatized by my um, upbringing and At that point in time, it wasn't conscious. So with my first child, I breastfed. My mother didn't breastfeed me. And I I had some very, very conflicted feelings around mothering. So I would be warm and loving one minute, and the next minute I would be enraged because the child wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. Or he he wasn't sleeping. Babies were supposed to sleep for 22 hours out of 24, and why wasn't my baby sleeping? So these were all the kinds of conflicts that that I felt inside and felt terribly guilty about, as mothers do, because I didn't want to hurt my baby. Of course I didn't want to hurt my baby, but I felt very hostile feelings towards the baby, and I had nowhere to go with them. Fortunately, I had this person who'd invited me to this seminar of class and kennel, and she became a best friend. And when I fell pregnant with my second child, I couldn't stop crying. 
it 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 just happened you know i was in this conflict about my first child i really loved him but i also couldn't understand why he didn't listen to me and why he didn't behave and i just started crying i i just i just couldn't deal with the fact that i was having another baby and i couldn't manage the first one so she then offered to buddy for me she'd been through the primal institute as a as a client and become conscious of her own trauma and she said look i can't i'm not your therapist but i can sit for you you know so if you need to cry i will just be here and listen and reflect and we'll take you through the process and you will take yourself through the process and don't be afraid it's okay you know you can fall apart it was terrifying it was absolutely terrifying because all the emotions that i was feeling i didn't know what to do with them and and so we started the process it was a 3 week intensive so i'd have a session in the morning a session in the afternoon and a session in the evening and we we picked away at the cold face for a while because there wasn't it wasn't easy to let out these emotions um i i would grind my teeth because i was so afraid of of what i was going to how i was going to explode with all these feelings that i might hurt somebody you know and there were rules in 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 the space that i wasn't allowed to hit my body and i, I could be as violent as i wanted as long as it was a, with a pillow you know so there were some guidelines and that was very helpful and for a week i ground my teeth and then the second week i went straight into birth primals and the third week i was able to express some of the emotions towards my particularly my mother because my father was absent so my mother was the mother and the father which was obviously very hard on her but for me she was the ogre she was the one who was doing the mothering and the disciplining and everything else so there was a lot of rage and anger towards my mother that came out you know i i <laughs> if i forget i said how can i feel so much you know such rage and such anger and hostile emotions came out of me and when i realized that what i was feeling towards my child was actually misplaced anger and that actually i was angry with my mother that just opened a whole door for me of enlightenment if you like because i understood i mean we all understand that the child is helpless and i i'm his mother and i don't want to hurt him so why did i feel such anger towards my child and it wasn't actually at my child it was at my mother so that was the first big learning curve for me was learning to accept that i had angry hateful rageful hostile feelings towards the significant others in my life and that was a big one and then the next step in the process was accepting that my child and my children obviously i was pregnant again and was having another child 
And I was very worried about expressing all those emotions, being pregnant as well. So my buddy friend said to me, look, just explain to your baby, you know, even though he's not born yet in your womb, just talk to him and and explain the process to him. And, you know, releasing the feelings is much better for the baby than holding that tension in your body. And I had a huge epiphany when I was about five months pregnant because we communicated. I put my hands on my belly and the baby, it appeared like the baby was reaching into my hand and communicating back. And that also switched on some lights for me. And and it was a really, really precious process. And that child is now, well, he's now 37. (laughs) And he is so emotionally congruent. He is the happiest person. He's always laughing. He obviously goes through difficult times, but he's emotionally congruent. You know, we we've always had this very, very open understanding. And he's very compassionate. And that's just amazing to me that this child that I had this huge emotional experience with is a very compassionate person mm-hmm. and accepts people as they are and is full of laughter. <laughs> and I spent most of my pregnancy crying. That was like, wow, that's amazing. Wow. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I actually had goosebumps when I was listening to you speaking because I, it's such a it's such a profound process, and the fact that you went through it and discovered this before you even knew anything about aware parenting, this profound power of receiving listening, so that you can connect with these deep, incredibly painful feelings that we've been holding for so long inside and and kept very firmly buried within. And then this immense power of having a safe space to be able to express this anger, this rage, this hostility, and the the hugeness of it all. And then the understanding that, as you were saying, it was misplaced when you were feeling those feelings towards your first child, that actually that was all directed towards your mother and the the way that you'd been raised. And and just to have that realization is, is incredibly significant before you then come to to then discover aware parenting and understand how best to support them to be able to express their feelings. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It it it's not it, it you know it's not an easy process. And I think I, I was terrified that I would would fall apart and not be able to put myself back together again. Yes. And that's the beauty of being listened to is that we can fall apart. And when we fall apart, the the lights, we make connections about where we're coming from, about the trauma that happened to us. And then we automatically reassemble, but we reassemble our parts in a way that is gentler and kinder to ourselves and also to the others in our lives. And then I, and then it was, but it was still quite a few years after that. I'd spent a lot of time crying, uh, discovering my emotions. It didn't just happen in three weeks. You know, it was an ongoing process and it 
took many twists and turns and you know the process of self discovery I, I i would i would have liked to, to to have been a recipe like okay we've done that now and it's it's everything is going to be different you know we we're all looking for recipes we're all looking for the instant fix and there's a song by Coldplay you know i will fix you <laughs> and i love that song you know because I'm going to fix me and I'm going to fix everyone else in my family and I'm going to fix everything. <laughs> of course, it doesn't work like that. And the fixing is in the being real every day and feeling one's emotions and working with those feelings and reflecting, self-reflecting, strategizing how to deal with the outside world and people we have relationships with, people we just come into contact with for a short time. It's 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 really about relationship first with oneself and then with the people you love. And that then I can't remember how my friend discovered Aware Parenting Elita's books. I think she found the book online and she said, Hey, Marianne, you know, this is this is dynamite. What are we doing? And she passed on the book to me and and I was like, wow, you know, this is this is really gonna help me. So I have all these feelings, but I, I didn't know how to be there for the children, you know, and to recognize that they have feelings and that their feelings are okay, that if they hate me. It's okay to hate me and to allow them the space to express that feeling towards me without reacting myself. So I was able through Alita's, you know, she's got the 10 principles. The three main principles of aware parenting are attachment parenting, which I was already doing, listening and Non-punitive discipline. That's right, non-punitive. So allowing, so attachment parenting, allowing expression of feelings and non-punitive discipline. So no hitting, no shouting if you can, or to try. I couldn't I couldn't put that on myself at that stage. I couldn't say no shouting because sometimes it was just happen and you can't. You can't help it. Um, but then I became aware, as I became aware, I was able to work with myself and also the non-punitive discipline. And it saved my relationship with my children. You know, And the one thing I really wanted, because I had such a difficult relationship and still have this difficult relationship with my mother, I really wanted to have good communicative flowing relationships even as they left home and went into adulthood and had their own relationships and it's not that they haven't been through trauma it's not that I haven't made mistakes it's not that we haven't ever fought or had difficult conversations we've had all those things but I stopped hitting them and I stopped shouting and it's made all the difference. Mm. And I'm happy to say that my youngest is now 35. My oldest is 
42. It's going to be 42 this year. <laughs> and I have relationships with all three of them. They all have partners, obviously all left home. And we're a family and I just love those relationships. So I go, you know, I go to each child and it's a different relationship with each child, but they're all part of my family and that's really, really precious. And with my mom, I've managed to salvage what I can from the relationship. She's not able to, you know, she's still in denial, let's put it that way, about things. But we have worked through quite a lot. And she has come to some realizations of her own. And, you know, for me, in, in at the moment, it actually doesn't matter. She's 85. I love her anyway. And I still relate to her in, in the way that she can. And for me, that means something. I don't have another mother. For some people, they choose not to have a relationship with their mother when it's been so toxic, and that's also okay. But I chose to, to chip away at the old block of our relationship and to try and salvage something. And for me, that's been valuable. And I know that, you know, when she dies, I've, I did what I could to make it work for me. And I'm not going to regret that. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a painful process. Oh, my gosh, it's so painful. Yes. Even to talk about it, I want to cry. Yeah. You know, it hurts. And then I watch my grandchild. She's 18 months. And 50% of the time she's a happy little thing. And 50% of the time she spends crying. And I think that's probably about right. Yeah. Because we are filled with joy and happiness and and anticipation and exploration and we love our lives and those very things bring us to the things we don't like, the things that are hurtful, the things we can't have, the things we can't do. And all of those things are painful and it, that's life. That's life. And I'm not at this point in my life, I'm 65. I'm not about to shut down the painful things just because they're painful. Mm. Yeah? I want to experience the richness of my life in all its glory. <laughs> when I reached 60, I thought, oh, I'm on the home run now. Everything's going to be fine and I'm going to have a nice, happy time. <laughs> and, that, and then I went into the deepest pit of self-discovery and I was like oh no I'm never gonna say that again <laughs> I'm never gonna just wish that everything was happy again because that's when we come to the deepest parts of self-discovery of course you know menopause I'm still perimenopausal it's such a wonderful time to to discover more of ourselves as women and to go into a different stage of development and to experience this stage of development. You know, I'm no longer raising small children and coping with all those difficulties. I'm now a granny and I can 
love my grandchild and when I've had enough and I'm tired, I leave. Mm. <laughs> or I let the parents take over, you know, and it's their journey. And it's something really whole about coming to this place and watching her and watching how my son and daughter-in-law are so much more connected to themselves than I was at the same age and are able to allow my granddaughter to rage if she wants to, you know, and to cry and to express herself. My mother didn't allow me to express myself. I was told to shut up from the moment I could express my voice. I was told to shut up. And if I wasn't told to shut up, I was ignored and abandoned. So for the first 20, 28 years of my life, I was in suppression mode, you know, Keep it down, keep the feelings in. Don't acknowledge that you are an angry person. Oh, that's dangerous because that's what you had to do in order to survive. So it's a strategy. I mean, suppression, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just a, it's a survival strategy. And I'm not in survival mode. I mean, obviously, I go into survival mode sometimes, but. I'm in experiential mode more and try to be, you know, feeling everything every day. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really helpful. I love that you said that about suppression being a survival strategy because I think often when we discover, we start to learn more about this type of, of way of being and, and really being with ourselves or, or allowing our children to really be, often we can go into judgment or, or harshness of ourselves that we've somehow failed ourselves or that we're failing our children when we we start to suppress feelings or we notice ourselves using these types of patterns to suppress feelings or when we see it in our children, it's very easy to go into that judgment. So I love that reminder for people that it it's it's about survival and it's it's not good it's not bad it's just something that we have to do and what we're aiming to do is to provide the 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 right ingredients for our children's lives to to need it less but it's inevitable in in just one or two generations that we're still going to require different things to help us to suppress feelings at times and our children will too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's about being kind intrinsically. All of the principles, the attachment parenting, the no punitive discipline, the allowing expression of feelings, it's about being really kind to first ourselves. And once we can be kind to ourselves, we can then extend that kindness to others. And to be kind, you know, and compassionate to our children, because growing up is hard. It's mm. very, very hard, each little stage, and especially when they're little. They're so trapped in their bodies and they can't move and they can't talk and they can't um, direct us. I mean, I see it with my granddaughter. She gets, she gets angry because her parents don't understand what she's asking. 
and and she is a child who has who uses body language so she uses so this means more mm. so she's using sign language to communicate she's using sign language to communicate because she she can't she's vocalizing but she can't say the vowels and the consonants that she needs to she can only say a few words mm. that are easy to say like dada and Mama and Ma, and she says this, 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 um, and then she points. So she's using a combination of of words and body language, and very strong body and sign language, and then of course very strong body language to communicate. And when her parents can't hit the jackpot, don't understand what she's <laughs> she's mad. So angry with them because they're so stupid. <laughs> How can they not understand what she's trying to say? She's so clear. <laughs> Just watching this um, dynamic is um, it's very precious for me to to because I'm learning. I'm still learning as a granny. I'm learning what. It's like to be a child in a loving home. That's phenomenal. Mm. Telling my my son and my daughter-in-law how proud I am of them for for parenting the the way they do. And they're still against the stream. Most of their friends do it differently. The, The family, they're all like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? They, they they haven't got the understanding of why my son and daughter-in-law do it this way. Yeah. Yes. We've still got a lot of work to do, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. So what attracted you then to be working as an aware parenting consultant and how, how did that process go? Well, I, I'm a midwife by profession and so I, I'm not teaching parents with older children. I'm, I'm my best area of, of reflection really is, is the newborn. And for me, it, it, it starts obviously before birth and continues after birth. And I've, I've also been a maternity nurse, so I've also gone into people's homes um, to look after the baby for the parents or with the parents and to help them, particularly in the UK, it's quite a, a common thing to have a maternity nurse or a night nurse to come in and help your child sleep through the night because that's a big issue. And so when I started, let me just go back to when my children were small. I needed the tools that Elita Salter in Aware Parenting gave us to help me with my own children. And and that was a journey in and of itself. Mm. And then I, as a midwife, understood more and more about babies. So infant mental health has been developing over the past 30 years as the research has been done. I mean, the research into infants has only started 30, 40 years ago at the most. 
So it's been an ongoing learning journey and and understanding the baby as, you know, the old way was the baby's a blank slate and everything that we do as parents feed in feeds into the baby's development. And so we have this huge responsibility as parents to make our children into people. And our understanding of babies has changed over the last 30 to 40 years. And what we're realizing is that babies are not blank slates. Babies come with many, many, many built-in mechanisms and character traits and ideas about who they are and who their parents are before they're even born. And that's just fascinating. It's been such a fascinating journey. So very difficult to explain to new parents, but I'm going to start with something extremely practical and also bring in my my son and my granddaughter. So one of the things that they have done from the beginning straight after the birth is it's called elimination communication. So the bottom line is babies eat, babies drink, they posit, they burp sometimes, they pee and they poo, and they fart. Okay. And up till about the age of three months of age, that those are the primary concerns of the parents and the baby. So the baby is busy getting the digestive system working properly. Okay. Coping with feeding. Feeding is a big issue. And it's a life and death issue. The baby has to be nourished. If the baby's not nourished, then his life is, is going to be in danger. So it's a big issue for the parents too. Um, and one of the things that parents don't realize is that just as much as the baby's eating and tells you that he's hungry or she's hungry, she also tells you that she needs to pee or that she needs to poo. And just as much as a baby likes to have clean food in, the baby likes to expel and be clean after expulsion. So there isn't a baby that is going to enjoy having a poo nappy. It doesn't happen. And the same with a wet nappy. There isn't a baby that enjoys lying in a wet nappy for hours and hours. So the baby will fuss, will try and communicate. And eventually, if, if that doesn't get through, will get angry and scream and become very fussy. And, and it's, it's obviously, you know, I'm looking back at myself and how ignorant and oblivious I was of any of this as a young mother. I mean, my poor child, especially my first child, he got nappy rash a couple of times. And it was painful and agony. And it was because I didn't, I wasn't aware that I needed to check and make sure that this child was clean. So anyway, my children stumbled upon aware parenting because they were sensitive to the baby's cues and they stumbled upon elimination communication as well. 
And they just, they held the baby over the basin by chance once or twice. And the baby urinated and made a poo. And they were like, oh, this is nice. We don't have to do the washing. And they then continued and became so attentive to the baby's cues. So this this little girl hardly ever uses a nappy. They, they, they use a nappy at night, um, but they will still take her to the loo. It's, it's for just in case something happens. And also when you can't be attentive, when you can't respond to the cues, like when you're driving in the car, then they can't stop and always respond to the cue. But when they're at home or when they're at a place and they're comfortable, they always respond to those cues. And so she uses potty. She's 18 months. She's not potty trained. She, this It's still, they're, they're communicating about her needs. And that's, it's just incredible to me. She's so okay with her body. The child, I'm talking about the, the baby. She's 18 months. She's walking. She, she, she will tell her parents when she needs to poo. That's just, it's amazing. Because my, my, my children were in nappies till they were two and a half, three. That's a long time to be in nappies, making a poo in a nappy and being cleaned. And we don't realize how communicative the children are when they're babies. So a lot of my work now is, you know, I'm a midwife. I assist people to give birth to their babies. Well, I don't assist them, actually. Um, they give birth to the babies and I'm present. So my role is very much a supportive one, a guiding role, an example, and teaching. So teaching the mother that the baby's uncomfortable when the baby's nappy is wet, it's a big thing. And the same with the poo the baby is telling me so I will say for instance when I'm with the mum and the baby I will say oh she's very uncomfortable she hates being in a dirty nappy and we'll change the nappy and then I will show the mother that even if it's a little squirt on the nappy sometimes they make these farts and then there's a squirt that squirt will sit in between the cheeks of the buttocks and burn the skin and the baby makes definite communicative gestures, like they'll wriggle and they'll try and they look as if they're trying to get away from, from the nappy. So they wriggle on the bed and they and that's a sign that they are uncomfortable in their buttocks. If you check the nappy, usually there's a squirt. <laughs> so it's very simple to me because I'm now it's not my child. I can observe and I can reason while I'm observing, but the mother's emotionally involved and she is it's really difficult as a mother to see the baby as a separate being. Very often the baby is we we automatically see the baby as an extension of ourselves. And so to make the distinction between the baby's body and my body, it's it's not an easy process for a mom. And those are the kinds of ways because if you can, my reasoning, and obviously I'm, because I'm a midwife, that's I'm working with the early children. My reasoning is that if the mother 
if that light can go on in the first three months and the mother can make the distinction between her baby's needs and her needs, she's then able to respond to the baby's needs and communicate. If she can communicate and accept that the baby is communicating with her, then the rest is going to unfold. Then she's going to be able to, to do that as the relationship develops and as the child grows, she will be able to respond to the child's communications. And I, and obviously I'm not going to be there. So that's that's my reasoning and that's my hope. And when I'm working with mothers and babies, specifically babies, young babies, and we also talk about feelings. You know, one of the, one of the things that women will do sometimes as soon as a baby is born, you know, the baby comes out, he's just gone through this humongous process, thought he was maybe not going to make it out of the womb. Maybe he was squashed. Maybe, you know, his head was squashed. Maybe his arm was caught in a in a difficult position. Anyway, he's born, he comes out, and suddenly he's He's free and it's a shock and he cries or she cries. And what is the mother's first response? Shush, 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 shush. <laughs> yep. Because the mother has just been through a terrible time herself and she can't understand why this baby, she's just given birth to him, he should be grateful. And it's difficult for her to perceive and conceive of the baby as a human being in his own right who's had a different experience from the mother. So one of the first things I'm doing is it's a very difficult lesson to learn and at a very difficult time is to teach the mum and to reflect with the mum on perhaps why this baby is crying at birth. Because he's in shock. You're in shock. He's also in shock. And you're dealing with your strong emotions. He's got strong emotions too. And it's okay if he has those emotions. He needs to cry. He needs to tell you how terrible it was to be born and how difficult it was and how grateful he is that he's out in your arms. So it's that process right from the very beginning. And if a mother is able to, to untangle those feelings of hers and the babies and, and to see them as parallel but on two separate paths, she's then able to navigate the relationship with her baby and able to understand what his needs are. And that's all the baby asks for, really, is to understand for the mother and the father and the close care caregivers to understand what his needs are in the beginning. So, yeah, that's my area of focus is the newborn and the first three months. And that is how I try and reflect with mothers on how best to navigate that very difficult time. 
that first three months when we feel like we're drowning Mm. and we're in a cave and we're never going to get out of this cave. And is this baby ever going to grow up? Is he going to be like this forever? And am I ever going to get my body back? Those are all feelings that we as mothers have. Yes, yes. I'm just, yeah, I'm so touched by you describing that process that you work through with them. And I think, I just wonder how I still think it's quite unusual for midwives to have this information and this perspective and to be sharing it with mothers. And I I really, I long for a day when all midwives have this understanding about how, how to support mothers in that very fragile and vulnerable stage to, to tune in to their babies, to learn to, to recognize what their needs are and to allow them to express feelings. What a, what a huge shift that would be in our culture. If, if, if everybody understood that, it would be so profound, wouldn't it? Right. Wouldn't it just? Amazing. So I'm aware of the time and that you need to get going soon. So I'd just love to know if, if people want to learn more about you, Marianne, where, where do people reach out or how do people connect with you? And probably the easiest way is to access my website which is www.spiritualbirth.net. Yeah. Okay, I'll put that in the in the show description. You're on social media as well. Um, under my name, Marianne Littlejohn. Yeah. So I, I'm, unfortunately I can't have any more friends because I have the maximum number of Facebook <laughs> friends, but and people can follow me and you can communicate with me on Messenger. Um, I'm also on Instagram as Marianne Littlejohn. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And the last thing I always ask my guests just briefly is if you could go back to the beginning of the process of motherhood now with everything that you've learned now and everything that you know now, what would you love to to be able to tell yourself or what would you have loved to have deeply known at that moment in your life? That I'm a good mother, I think. That's what every mother wants, to be a good mother. So the books tell you that good enough mothering is enough. And perhaps that's to assuage the guilt that we feel for not being good enough, to be kinder to myself, to have loved myself a little bit more. I think that's enough. Beautiful. So beautiful. Love that. Thank you. And thank you so much That's for making so wonderful. I've loved it. You're a very good listener. I mean, you just asked that question and I sprouted forth. It was beautiful. I so loved hearing your story and I'm so grateful for you sharing your, your perspectives and your understandings. Thank you. And I'll put those uh, links in the show description. And I look forward to connecting with you again somewhere, somehow. And I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.